subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Hey, Bubba, what's happening, man? Uh, not much. Just doing the same old hustle. Same old hustle. Yeah. Well, welcome back to your side hustle, Bigfoot and Beyond. It's going to be a good day today. We've got a good guest. But uh, before we get into that, anything fun, exciting you want to share with anybody? Nope. Nope. None of their business. I don't got anything fun or exciting. Oh, okay. And it's none of their business. I don't know what... That, <laughs> it's a funny thing about doing hosting a podcast. It always feels like people are listening to you. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure that this is gonna this is gonna air before uh, the the Blazer game. That's still happening. Um, the Blazers have invited the North American Bigfoot Center to come participate in a Bigfoot night. Um, some cool stuff is going to be happening. I, I I found out a little bit more about it. I'm not going to say anything, but some cool things are happening at the Blazer game. Um, besides, we're going to be present. I edited together a uh, one minute or fifty something second uh, commercial for the NABC that they're going to show in the Jumbotron. I think I mentioned that. Somebody came the other day to to uh, film a bunch of B-roll in the museum. Um, they're going to piece together some sort of little comedy bit or something like that with a local comedian. I don't know if he's going to be there or not, but uh, what was his name? Lee something. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, some local comedian is doing a little bit where uh, he's looking for a Sasquatch or something like that. And of course, we're getting a 10 by 10 uh, booth sort of thing. You know, like like one of those, like, like like when we speak at a conference, we get a little booth or whatever. Luxury box. Yeah, luxury box. Sure, that's a really nice way to put it. So uh, we're going to get one of those at the um, the game. We're not going to sell anything, though, at the game. Although we have this amazing backdrop. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's, it's it's eight feet by eight feet, and it's just a picture of, of Murphy's face, you know, with this says North American Bigfoot Center on top. And it's pretty it's pretty cool, man. It's going to draw a lot of eyes over. So we, I bought a bunch of flyers to give away. So that's going to be the big thing in our in my near future. But it's March 14th. If anybody wants to come down to the game, I think we're uh, the Trailblazers are playing the Knicks. Um, apparently, that's the name of another basketball team. I'm not really a sport guy, but I do know the Trailblazers. I've even been to a few games. So um, that's going to be on the 14th of March at the Moda Center here in Portland, Oregon. So if anybody wants to come down and say hi, please do. There's got to be some you know, season ticket holders or something in, the, in our audience, I would think. At least fans. Yeah, fans. Everybody loves the Trailblazers, unless you're on a team that is playing the Trailblazers. You know, right. I mean, even I like the Trailblazers, you know, and I'm, I'm not a sports guy. They still love me when they're not on the same team. Yeah. Have you ever uh, been to a Trailblazer game, Bobes? Yeah. It's it's nuts, right? I mean, of course, you probably have gone to a lot of sport events that I have not, but I found it overwhelming when I was uh, at, at a basketball game. And I, I saw the Clippers, too, because my brother has a seal, uh, season tickets for the Clippers. So I, I saw one of their games, too. And it's just so much stimulus. If I really find it overwhelming after about a half, you know, is it a halftime or is it halfway? What do you call the thing in the middle, man? What do you call that? Halftime. Is it halftime? Okay, so I win on that one. Yay, sports. So anyway, yeah, that's that's the big thing in my future and waiting for all the snow to go away so I can go to the mountains again. Right. Well, shoot, we got a good one today, Cliff. Tell us about it. Well, she, I met her when she was just a young college girl, probably about 19 or 20. And uh, she's gone on to some academic success and she actually her course of study through university was kind of guided by the Sasquatch phenomena. And she's, uh, she's got all kinds of good information. She's been squatching for 20 years. I met her on the like first or second BFR expedition, the very first one in Washington. I think it was the second one ever. I met her up there and been friends with her ever since. So welcome to Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to Bigfoot and beyond. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah, and Tracy, I've I've met you, right? I mean, I, I have it in my head that I've met you. I just can't remember where that would be. Um, we've met a few times at the the gravel pit in Washington, the the site of the first Washington expedition. Okay, very good. Yeah, I know I've run across you, but God, I mean, my memory is just failing as I grow older. Of course, there's actually a joke that we have in my family because my mom is a huge fan of both of yours and. She was so excited to meet you both. And when she introduced herself to you and she said, I'm Tracy's mom. And you said, Tracy who? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do that for everybody. <laughs> she just started laughing and I was like, yeah, mom, I'm not important in the Bigfooting world. <laughs> yes, you are. You're one of the few, like you have a PhD, right? I have a master's. In what? Behavior. 
Primate behavior. Okay, great. I've got a lot of questions for you. Got a lot of questions. So, um, and of course, well, Bobo said that it, part of it is because of Sasquatch. Is that yours? Is that your story as well? And you're sticking to it, or is there some other avenue? There's some other pathway that you took to get there. Well, I was studying uh, cultural anthropology and social sciences, and after going on a bigfooting expedition, I thought it would be fun to take some biological anthropology. And I was just really inspired after after the expeditions and after that class. And I decided to focus on that for my master's degree. Fantastic. Any regrets so far? No, um, it is really hard to be gainfully employed as a primatologist. So you have to, um, you know, unless you really want to work at a zoo or if you're willing to do field research in, um, you know, a foreign country, but it's, the pay is really low and it's, it's a really difficult job if you also have a family. Um, and so I, you know, I'm peripherally aware of what's going on in primatology, but I'm, um, employed elsewhere. Did you actually work at a zoo and then also do field work in other countries? Um, which is how, you know, you don't really want to do that for a living. No, I know that I don't want to do it for a living because it, you don't get paid enough and it's, it's pretty difficult work. I worked at a chimpanzee sanctuary and I did field work with baboons in Africa. Um, I've worked with spider monkeys at a spider monkey sanctuary. So I know that it's work that I enjoy, um, but the jobs are few and far between. And, um, you know, it's pretty close to minimum wage for the most part. You worked with some famous chimpanzees, right? I did. I worked with the chimpanzees who knew um, the signs of American sign language. How's that, Cliff? Well, that's that's pretty pretty amazing. Um, now, I know there's some sort of debate amongst primatologists, or maybe maybe less so about primatology from primatologists and just zoologists in general about whether um, any ape, you know, whether it's uh, these these chimpanzees you're mentioning or Coco the gorilla or any of these things, whether they're just mimicking um, or if they're actually communicating, um, actually communicating unique uh, symbolic thought, um, and having worked with these actual animals that are doing that, what is your uh, take on that? Well, as a fellow ape, I'll just use one example of, of a story. So um, I was early in my training and one of the chimpanzees kept on signing what I thought she was signing smell. And I just had a pedicure, a pedicure done. And so I thought she wanted to smell my feet because I had lotion and bright blue toenail polish on. And I, kept on asking her why and she kept on signing what I thought was smell and so I stood on one foot and then I fanned the odor of my other foot toward her I mean looking like some weird you know blue toenailed flamingo no I think of it as yoga the look, the look that she gave me and then she very carefully signed mask so she'd just been signing in a hurry so it looked like smell but it was actually mask and then she pointed behind me and I saw there was a mask behind me, so I slid it under the caging, and she just kind of shook her head and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Muttering to herself, silly ape. Yeah. We also, uh, we had nicknames for each other. Um, one of the chimpanzees, um, my nickname for him was Good Friend, and I'd been gone for a couple weeks, and when I came back, the person who was serving him dinner came out of the area where she was serving, and she said, okay who here is called good friend because he keeps on asking for good friend. Um, and so looking at conversations like that, it's, it's easy to say that it's just mimicry. Um, it's not language the way some linguists would classify it, but it's definitely language. But you also have to remember this is, this is a non-human. So they're conforming to our concept of language. Um, these are things that weren't necessarily important to them during their evolutionary histories. And so the fact that they are able to communicate with themselves um, in, in their own language and using sign language, and they could also understand verbal, verbal words. Um, some of them, even if I spelled out the word cookie, um, they knew what I was spelling because they recognized some of the letters. Sure. Yeah, I, I would argue that even my dog can do some of that stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, any ape would be heads and shoulders and more above, of course. Have, did you ever observe uh, two chimpanzees um, signing and communicating on their own to each other? And what did they say? 
Like what kind of stuff do chimps talk about when we're not listening? Absolutely. Well, they, they might comment on things that they saw. Um, one of the most interesting things to me actually was if they would be looking at a book or a magazine and they would be signing about what they saw to themselves. Mm. They're talking to themselves. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Because one of the things I often mention is uh, about Sasquatch behaviors and, and social structures in particular is that um, they're probably moving around in groups, even though they're only seen individually. Um, and I base that, or part of the reason I base that is, uh, or I, I, I believe that, is because I don't think that they would be knocking or calling to themselves. It just doesn't make sense to me. But you're saying that uh, at least some apes do, in fact, sit around and sign to themselves. Well, it's it's kind of like a, a, a glimpse into their thought process, right? You're looking at it, going, "Oh, hey, that that's some flowers, and there's some ice cream." Um, and I think that we all do that to some extent. But it would make more sense to me that they were traveling in groups and that they were, you know, doing wood knocks and whoops to one another rather than just by themselves. Yeah, and if they are by themselves and doing it, they're probably trying to locate other members of, of their group anyway. So, yeah, different intention. Cool. Now, uh, let, let me ask you this: I get a lot of heat for this because I am always kind of the the voice on the. And not that Bobo disagrees, of course, but I'm, I'm, I very often say loudly and clearly that human beings are apes. You know, period. Um, that is our family. It's our biological family. What is the current? Because you know, words shift around. Uh, definitions shift around quite a bit. What is uh, a good? concise perhaps or not even concise a good definition for what apes are for our listeners is there um a misunderstanding about what an ape is are, are, are you saying that people argue that humans aren't apes yeah yeah and admittedly most of these people say um we're not dumb apes and so they have a they have a huge misunderstanding what apes are anyway but what is the technical definition of an ape i know it has something to do with uh, shoulders for brachiation and some and probably fingers or something like that some sort of digits or something and, and, and belonging to a certain clade perhaps but do you know what what a good functional definition for that would be. You know, I probably could have told you this in 2011 when I was still in school, but in terms of um, apes versus monkeys, so apes don't have a tail. Um, they're also typically highly encephalized. You know, the, their um, their brain to body ratio is pretty high. But when I hear people say, you know, we're we're not dumb apes, to me, it's just people that don't understand how basic science and evolution work. And that's okay. I mean, if you're coming from a place of ignorance, that's one thing. But if you're presented with the information and you still disagree, that's different. Have you read that book, uh, Naked Ape, um, back in the day? It was real popular in the 70s or something like that. Have you ever gone back and take a look, taken a look at that? Yeah, I think I read it in 2009. Because we, we, we are... are I mean, we're apes. We have that same behavior. Like almost everything that uh, I see Sasquatches do or chimpanzees, or we can find some sort of analog in our own behavior, I think. Tree breaking, you know, breaking, like hitting a pillow, for example, would be a good, I think, analog for that. One of the coolest things that I ever saw, and this was on an expedition um, in New Mexico where Bobo was there too, there were all of these anthills and they had some big holes in the side of them. And we thought, well, that's weird. And then we came to one that had some tiny sticks poked into the side of the anthill. And it reminded me of when uh, I was a little kid and I'd be running around with my brother and my cousins and we would be breaking off sticks and poking anthills and just ex exploring and examining everything. And it was kind of neat to see that. And we never did figure out what it was, but it was just out in the middle of nowhere, tiny little sticks poked into anthills. I talked to some of those Apache elders and they totally were talking, before I even mentioned that, we're talking about how they seen them fishing like the chimpanzees, putting a stick in the termite mount or anthill. And, and, and that was also what it reminded me of, you know, a combination of either kids playing in an ant, in anthill or, um, you know, a lot of chimpanzees in different cultural groups, they'll fish for termites and they, they do it in different ways, but it's the same uh, outcome that they get termites out. Have you seen a Sasquatch yet? I have. You have? Would you like to tell us about that? I, I don't, I'd love to hear about it. It was 2004, and I was with three other women, and we were walking down what we called Spooky Road, and it was my first real um, night walk like that, my first expedition, my first everything with Bigfooting. 
and I was a little bit spooked. And so I suggested that we should sing because that makes me feel better. But I don't know the words to anything, and none of us knew the words to the same things other than things like Christmas carols and Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And so that's what we were singing while we were walking down Spooky Road, and three of us had our night vision trained ahead of us, and one of us, Christine, had her night vision to the back just so that we were completely covered. And we started to hear these really complex whistles and myself being ignorant. I said, well, that's really weird that that bird is whistling like that at night. And two of the gals just kind of looked at me like, why do you think that's a bird? Have you ever heard a bird do that at night? And I said, no. And so we kept on walking and then we saw something peer from behind the back of a tree and it was just the head and the shoulder and it looked out at us and it impacted me so profoundly that have you ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind with the guy that kept on making the 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 um, the mountain out of the mashed potatoes and everything like that? I drew and I sketched and I painted what I saw so many times, but the episode was cut short because um, some of the guys from the expedition were worried because they hadn't heard from us from a long time, so they were driving toward us on the road and spooked whatever or whoever it was. And how long did you uh, get a chance to observe it? I'd have to check my journal because I wrote it down right after it happened. I know that um, memory is a tricky thing. Every time you remember something, you change the memory itself. But I think it was just for a few seconds. But I remember I got like the double Jimmy leg because I wasn't expecting to have something like that happen. And um, from what I remember, it was about seven feet up and we were all just stunned. And and I'm glad that two other people saw it because I thought, wait, did I really see something? I, I mean, what are the chances that the first time I go out on something like that, that something happens? I think it's pretty good, actually, because uh, beginners seem to have all the luck or they're just fooling themselves. But I mean, I really do think that there's such thing as beginner's luck. And I've seen it in a million forms, whether, you know, the first, my, my first trip out doing Bigfoot stuff, I found footprints. Um, and it was a decade until, well, and that's not true, probably, oh, but almost a decade until I found another set. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. We found footprints on that expedition too. And I think on, on the next one, we, we found footprints down, um, was it the Quinault River? Um, found them down in the mud and even um, really tiny footprints. So they're, they're, it looked like it was a family that was down there together in the mud. They're, they weren't giant, huge tracks. They were like about the big ones were about the size of my boot, like a size 14 boot. But um, you can see where like the, the smaller set of the two faced the embankment because it was low tide. And you can see where the, where the little one was set down. You can see where it's, its feet hit and then where it started walking around, there's these little four inch prints. Yeah. I found the small prints and I was really excited about it. And at first I thought that a little kid had been playing down in the mud, but it was in such a remote area and the shape of the foot. Um, Cause kid, kid feet are kind of, you know, short and stubby in comparison to adult feet, but it was even shorter and fatter than what you would think. And the toes were splayed a little bit differently. How long were these uh, footprints, the small ones? Well, would you say about four or five inches? They weren't that big. They're, they're a little over four. Well, that'd be interesting to see. Did you take pictures of them or cast them or anything? We did. We took pictures. Um, they were on the internet for a while. Um, unfortunately, somebody came through and kind of stomped them. <laughs> that was this crazy guy. The guy that taught me how to put tinfoil inside a bicycle helmet for when the Bigfoots throw rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. He, he walked in. It was it was like, it was crazy, dude. He walked in and he's always, we're all, we're all, dude, don't step there. Don't step there. He's like, what, what? He's like spinning in circles and just trying. Like, we're like, don't step there. And he's like, he, he got, he's, he was not too all there. He got panicked and started moving more and more, like shuffling his feet and just wiped out the whole thing. Yeah. And he, he couldn't have wiped them out more if he'd tried. <laughs> right. But you also found something there along with those, Baby tracks. Yeah, I think that was the second expedition again. 
um, uh, my friend Kevin and I were out in a kayak and we saw what looked like tracks on the side. And so Kevin pulled the kayak over and I found some grass that was braided and tied together. And again, I mean, there's no way for us to know if, if a human did this or a non-human did this, but it was in such a remote area that, um, I broke the grass off and brought it back to show everybody to see what they thought that was tied up into a branch. So the branch was overhanging and they wove and, and tied the grass into the branch. It was like a little daisy chain. Yeah, it had little knots in it. I mean, whoever or whatever did it, there was definitely some manual dexterity. Uh, what was it? Uh, I mean, I hope no Sasquatches are listening, so I mean no disrespect, but like, was it poorly done? Was it a, a poorly done braiding, weaving thing, or was it pretty I slick? I think it was poorly done, no. No? Okay. I've seen some stuff that people have purported Sasquatches made, um, and the, the stuff that I have found most compelling, um, I'm thinking of like those mouse wraps that I've seen twice now. Um, they're, they're pretty poorly done, you know, and I've, and I've seen some cedar ball sort of things that I thought were intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, like that quality of stuff. It wasn't like jewelry quality, but it looked like <laughs> no. maybe a little kid had done it. I mean, if a little kid said, oh, you know, look at this, uh, you know, necklace that I made or look at this um, beautiful chain that I made, it, you could tell that somebody made it. Sure, sure. And, and you found these in what context? Like in the, in the swamp or in the, uh, along, a, along a road? or? I think that this was at the mouth of the Quinault River. Okay. Okay. By the way, I, I did look uh, um, for the photographs of the, the juvenile prints, and I found them online on the BFRO site. Oh, good. There was all kinds of stuff out in that time. I saw, that's why I had that great sighting on, on the 101 that night, and like five of us saw that one. Uh, there was that one where Walt, those guys were walking down the main road, and they got, where Walt saw them run off, and then they had three of them come up behind them, and the huge one stayed on the road. The other two went on each side of the road off into the brush, and then ran up beside him and passed him on each side of him with the big one coming up behind me. There was, there was a bunch of stuff happening that trip. <laughs> one story that I wanted to share that it's one of my favorite stories because um, people wonder, Oh, well, you know, how is it that you're not always being tricked? And, and it's possible that we're being tricked every time, but I was again out with a, a group of gals out. Um, I don't want to na- say the name of the site cause it's my favorite site, um, but it's in central Washington and it was three of us gals and a guy that it was his first time um, bigfooting. And he was hogging the night vision. And finally, we just said, just keep it. We don't care. Um, because you don't really want to go back and forth from night vision to not. Because then when you take the night vision away, you can't see. And so I'd rather do one or the other. Um, and he was so excited with you know anything that he might see. And so we stood on the side of the road for a little bit and we were just talking and, and laughing. And he said that he saw something way down in, in the woods off to, off to the side. And so we were telling him to explain what he saw. And I just assumed it was probably an elk or a deer. And then he said, no, 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 it's, it's bipedal. I'm sure it's bipedal. And he said, no, there's two of them. And so the three of us girls, again, thought, you know, maybe he's, he's, mistaking something else. Um, just for warmth, we started to, to, um, weave back and forth. Um, and he said, now it's weaving back and forth. So he couldn't see what we were doing. Uh, he could only see ahead of him with the night vision. He wasn't turning around to see what we were doing and whatever we would do, the two things down in the brush on the other side of the gravel road would do the same thing. And we didn't tell him that it was copying us until later. But that that one still gives me goosebumps because it was just so cool. And of course, the three of us girls, we, we didn't see it at all. All we heard was the enthusiasm in his voice. And it, it was kind of cool to experience that. And uh, I think finally one of the gals was like, will you just give me the night vision goggles so that I can see what's going on too? And he really didn't want to give them up when we told him later, like, yeah, we were, we were weaving back and forth and then we were moving our arms and, and he, we were like, okay, we'll just keep telling us what, what they're doing. Um, and so whatever we would do, it would do. So it was mimicking us. So obviously it wasn't threatened by whatever we were doing. Yeah. It kind of gives a new meaning to, um, monkey see monkey do, but didn't have a tail must ape see ape do. Yeah. I mean, it was aping us. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Speaking of that, I mean, we were talking, you were talking about uh, the primate, like the chimpanzees using like hand signs and hand, sign language. You, you saw um, 
uh, Sasquatch do the same, do a hand gesture down in New Mexico when we were down there too. Yeah, we were up near some Anasazi ruins, and um, I uh, we were walking back from the ruins, and I was walking with my ex, and we each simultaneously smelled something. He smelled a really foul odor and I smelled what smelled like cinnamon. And I was trying to think of what could be growing in that area that would have a scent like that. And so he went running off to go tell everybody that we smelled something weird. And then I was just standing down there waiting. And then I noticed that there were two parallel tracks in the tall grass. And I started to walk toward the paths and then the hair went up on the back of my neck and I saw, um, and again, I wrote this in my journal. Um, I saw something dark brownish that, um, was horizontal and it was moving, um, up and down. Um, it's hard to explain it, um, without doing a visual, but if you imagine like the the motion that one of the gates does um, for a train track. It was kind. Of, it was kind of like that, kind of like the up and down, but not as obvious. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And you see something weird like that, and your brain doesn't know what to make of it. And and it Sasquatch was not what I thought at all. That was not the first thought. I just thought it's like a weird, like horizontal animal. Like what is that? And I turned my head to yell for everybody else that I saw something. And I know that's, you're not supposed to do that. And when I turned back, it was gone and I was a little bit shaken. And so by that point, everybody was kind of coming back down to the area. And, um, I told Kevin what I had seen and he took off running up the slope and I was afraid because I didn't know what it was. And he was gone for a really long time. I ran up right after him. Yeah, he he had a full sighting up there, though. Um, But um, how many months later was it? Months later, um, when I was in a class, they were showing um, gestures. And I think it was a bonobo that did this. And then bonobo did the same gesture with its arm that I had seen in New Mexico. And I literally fell out of my seat in class and made, I mean, it was really embarrassing. And the professor was this kind of um, really grouchy-ish older lady that I really liked her, but she was really tough on her students. And she just gave me this look like she was really mad at me for causing a scene. But I, I just, it was so strange to see another primate doing what I thought I had seen in New Mexico. And I imagine uh, you were a secret. Uh, you, you were secretive about your Bigfoot interests, especially at that point. Um, I mentioned it to that teacher because she was talking about Grover Krantz. She'd been friends with Grover, and I mentioned Grover to her, and she laughed and talked about how it was so stupid that he believed in Bigfoot and blah blah blah. And I just kind of dropped it there. It's not a very welcoming uh, environment to bring it up, I suppose. Yeah, because wasn't it doing like a like an upside down fist, like if you were giving a thumbs down signal to somebody, like yeah, the hand was um, faced away from me, and the hand was mostly closed, and and the yeah, the thumb wasn't sticking up, and it was just kind of moving up and down, and so that's not a hand gesture that you normally see with a human, and so I I really didn't know what I was looking at. And for our listeners, by the way, there's another um, uh, BFRO page devoted to, I believe, this particular expedition, the Northern New Mexico report. So there's going to be uh, links in the show notes for um, all these expedition reports from back in the day. So, yeah, were you with us when we found that where they uh, slept? Did you, did you see that? Did you did you see that where we found the, the prints and the dust and all that? Yeah, um, there were also the huge piles of scat um, and the the tree twists that these trees were huge and something had, you know, that was seven or eight feet that, that had a reach of seven or eight feet up had just taken the top of it and just twisted it around. And I was looking at it going, could the snow do that? Does snow? And, and, um, I think it was Hoyt just kind of smiled and shook his head. No, uh, there is a picture of that scat pile on the New Mexico uh, breakdown, by the way, too. So 
Yeah, they we we found three. There was like three spots where they looked like they slept. They they almost like swept it. Like there was nothing in these bedding. There was no bedding materials. Just it was just clean shaped, and you could see like where they had been laying down. And there was and they went to the bathroom right there, like right in the where they'd been sleeping. Like they peed. Like I think they all peed, and like they all had urine marks in the middle of them. Right? Yeah. Is is that an ape thing to do? I mean, I don't do that. <laughs> Um, typically the apes that I worked with didn't poo and pee and then sleep right where they pooed and peed, but. No, I think they got up. I think they, they got up and when they left, they did it. I think is what it looked like. Yeah. That, that would make more sense. Um, but I mean, they don't have the same taboo about it that we do. You know, I think I remember Dennis Full telling me that they, they found that at the Kentucky site, a uh, big swaths of the ground cleared away. Um, by these things, um, just swept clean of uh, most of the debris, like f- leaf litter and forest litter and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, like they, it had brushed it off so that it was smooth. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I wonder what, that, what, what, that, what that's about. It's more comfortable than laying on rocks and sticks. Yeah. Have you, have you been able to go observe the, um, the Olympic Project nests? Um, I haven't, no. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that might be something for you to check out. You probably get a lot out of that. I mean, they're still there, so... Yeah, I don't do a lot of on-site stuff anymore. Um, the last time I was really able to be out in the field was uh, autumn of 2021 um, on horseback, and that, that was that was a lot of fun. Do you still do you still live in Washington? I do. Gotcha. So there's opportunity. To, it's just a matter of time and um, gumption and availability. I have a 13 month old. Oh gosh. Well, yeah. Again, time. Exactly. And you, you frankly have more important things to do, perhaps. Then you went to Africa, right, Tracy, for baboons? Yeah. Um, I studied baboons in South Africa for a few months. I was um, a research assistant for somebody who was pursuing their PhD. And we were just looking at how they used their, their time and space. Um, it was a spatial ecology study. And yeah, it was really interesting. There were three different groups. And they had um, various levels of um, habituation. So one was, um, I don't want to say tame, but pretty acclimated to humans. One was in the middle and one was pretty skittish. Um, So depending on which troop you'd been assigned to, you may or may not even see them all day, even though you were assigned to tracking them. Part of it was just trying to find them in the first place, examining scat, um, examining tracks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And how many animals were in the the troops that you were following? You know, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say that it was probably around 20-ish. Did you ever hear them make sounds that reminds you of some things you'd heard in the Pacific Northwest? I did, yeah. Um, just some some of the sounds that they made kind of reminded me of, um, like, the, the chatter that, is it Ron Moorhead? Yeah, some of the chatter that he got. You heard uh, the baboons make stuff that sounded like the what you heard on Ron Moorhead? A little bit. Um, they they would make kind of some <laughs> type type noises here and there, um, kind of just some chitter chatter. Was there a uh, a prompt for them to make that noise? Like, did they do it in response to certain stimulus, or? or... <laughs> yeah, actually, that noise that I made was uh, a noise that they made when they were having sex. Oh, okay, yeah. So yes, it was definitely in response to a stimulus. Gotcha. Well, I don't think that's, that was the case with the Sasquatches at the, the hunting camp at the time. No, so. and I, I don't think that there would be a lot of similarities between um, baboons and, and Sasquatch. I mean, first of all, um, one's a monkey, one's an ape, and they're so evolutionarily removed. You know, you're going to have you know some basic primate similarities, but um, I mean, they, they were very different. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. I'd like to talk a little bit about a potential Sasquatch social structure. Um, because it seems, uh, from my reading, that most primate social structure kind of falls within a, a small number of categories. But also, we're dealing with a small number of apes. The very few apes that are still living are just a small sliver of what once was. So there's probably many more um, social structures. But um, you know, so family group and troop and some. I mean, I, what, but um, I'm, I'm most interested in actually the orangutan social structure. 
Um, can because uh, I I think, and I don't know this, of course, but my best guess based on what I've seen and the data available to me is that that is probably closest to the Sasquatch social structure. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I, I would think with scarcity of resources, you would probably see something similar to the orangutan or something like the gorilla, but to a smaller extent, like the families would be smaller because no, nobody has studied this and nobody really knows. It's hard to say, what their family groups would look like um, if the male would stay present with the the female after offspring were born, or if they would just leave, or if they're um, like gorillas, there are often um, bachelor groups, young bachelors that don't have their own family yet, but it's safer for them to be in groups together. Um, I would guess that Sasquatch would do something like that where they would have the bachelor groups, um, especially with some of the stories that I've heard about some of the more daring type behaviors, like in New Mexico where rocks were getting thrown at us. I would guess that that would probably be um, juvenile male type behavior. But yeah, I would guess somewhere similar to orangutan where it's typically the female with the young and then the male just kind of, you know, has his territory and he doesn't stay with them necessarily or gorilla, where it might be, um, you know, a male and a, and a couple of females and an offspring. But um, typically, the sightings that people have, they don't see a big group of them. So I wouldn't think that it would be a social structure similar to like chimpanzees, where there's you know a, a big troop together. Yeah, it seems to be uh, between maybe one and three or something like that. And I'm sure there's outliers with four or maybe five or something. But one or two, maybe three individuals um, moving around in an area together. And their footprints are found in that same general area for quite a while. And there's and again, there's so few examples of this in the data set. It's hard to make any generalization off a data set of like three. You know, one or it's just not fair to the <laughs> to, to accuracy and the, the animals themselves. Um but but the big ones do seem to get around a little bit more. And I, I'm assuming like orangutans kind of swooping into an area and maybe doing some booty calls or something. And um, and that's kind of it, you know, just circulating through the area. But I don't know. I don't know. There's so much to learn about this. And I, I think the only way you really can learn about that is uh, by studying the footprints um, and trying to identify the individuals in an area. Well, and just comparing um, reports, you know, how many how many they see together. Um, like, like you said, you know, you don't get a lot of reports of where it's more than three of them together. Yeah. Well, that, that might just be a factor of how well they hide too. Um, like, uh, some team members at the, the NABC, they, um, they saw a Sasquatch in, in August at one of our study sites and, uh, they were hearing, they thought three animals moved through the woods. They didn't know what they were for a long time until they saw one, but, uh, they, they, uh, they heard they thought they had three things moving around them most for like the previous hour, but they only saw one. So we're kind of, we're kind of limited on what people, humans, <laughs> I guess, where the Sasquatches make a mistake and the humans observe them or something. So, yeah, I mean, three wouldn't surprise me again. I think a lot of the things that people report, um, I would guess would be the juvenile groups kind of reminds me of teenagers, you know, going out and toilet papering and egging houses, that period of adolescence where your brain isn't fully um, developed and you're just making bad choices and you're a little bit less risk averse than maybe an adult would be. Well, Bobo's going to outgrow that eventually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of those types of interactions where it is maybe a, a group of three, Um, and I was with somebody once where they said they had the impression that the one was getting dared to do stuff. And we were joking about that, but I thought, you know, that's not out of the realm of possibility that they're, you know, egging each other on in some way. Oh yeah. I think they are. The the juvenile ones, especially. Yeah. Which of course begs uh, the uh, communication thing again. What do you think the chances are that these things are talking to one another? And of course you don't know, none of us know, but what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's obviously some kind of communication um, between the wood knocks, which carry long distances, and the whoops. I mean, there's no way for us to know. I know that I would get scared when Bobo would make one of his more aggressive calls because I would go, okay, I don't want to be anywhere near where there's an aggressive call because I don't want there to be any kind of a misinterpretation. (laughs) (laughs) 
There's no misinterpretation. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't know that then. That was my my third expedition. Remember in New Mexico, I would get really shaken and not want to be around um, when there was one of those like really deep calls that went out. Don't you think that uh, if, if Bobo laid on a really heavy, sort of scary, aggressive call, they would just kind of look at him and roll their eyes, though? I think that now, I think that they would they would know. But I didn't think that then because his calls are really loud. I mean, you wouldn't think that somebody can make a call that loud. And um, yeah, my my first thought was, if you know, if I heard that, I would be like, hey, who's in my area? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's Bobo's laryngeal sax is why, you know. <laughs> Hack. He's he's a surfer. He can pack that oxygen like a deep sea diver. <laughs> <laughs> right, like a harbor seal, right. Hey, Tracy, you've been on some expeditions and you've been around the country. That's a great story you got from down in Florida. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, so there were a group of us in Florida and... One of the guys was really eager to camp remotely, and so he went and he set up a site um, down in the jungle, um, down off a dirt road, and he had some beers in the back of his truck, he set up his tent, and he was really happy with how his campsite was looking, and then after his his tent was set up, he went to go back to his truck to get the beers and I think some other stuff. And, um, something didn't let him go back to the truck. It, it was kind of menacing him and we were able to have cell phone reception. So he called the base camp and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm feeling intimidated. I can't get back to my truck. Could somebody else come down here too? And I was the only gal there. It was, um, all, all guys on the expedition and I said, oh, I'll go, you know, I came all the way to Florida to have something happen. We can't, base camp is really boring. And the guys said, no, that's emasculating. You can't be the one to go. And so we're all discussing who they want to go. And I'm like, guys, it's getting dark, guys, time's ticking. And so finally we decided um, nobody else was really interested. They're like, it's probably nothing. And so my ex agreed to um, drive me down there. And then he would walk with me to Tony's camp and then he would walk back and then take the car back to base camp. And we get down to, um, this dirt road and get to the area where you can't drive anymore and you have to walk. And I'm informed that I'm on my own. Um, he's just going to stay at the car and make sure I'm okay. So I'm a little bit nervous. I'm in the Florida jungle at night. And then they said, don't use your white headlight, just use your red headlight. That doesn't really put out very much light. And so I'm walking on this dirt road in pretty much complete darkness. And I have my walkie talkie and I'm going really slowly and I'm scared. And I I just, you know, I keep telling myself, just keep walking. You're fine. Just keep walking forward. And then I hear something in the brush to the left of me and I get on the radio and I go, um, Oh, Tony, I think I can hear you. I must be getting really close. And Tony gets on the radio and he goes, I'm just sitting here at my tent. It's not me. And so then, you know, I get the goosebumps I get the hair on, on the back of my neck because I don't know, is it a wild boar? Is it an alligator? What is it? And so every time I would walk, it would walk. Every time I would stop, it would stop. And I'm just the sheer adrenaline. I mean, I'm like, you know, cold, sweaty, and just keep walking. Don't run because then it'll chase you. Just keep walking like you're supposed to be here. And I finally get to um, his truck and I tell him, hey, I'm at your truck. And he comes out to the pathway and meets me and he's excited because then he can get his drinks out of the truck. And I don't think they were beers cause I don't drink beer. It was something else, but, um, we, we get back to the campfire and he's like, I really needed one of these. So we each have a drink and then, um, we're just sitting there talking. And, um, after a while I said, you know, I actually have to go to the bathroom and he goes, well, just do it here. I'm like, no. So I walk off into the darkness, um, 
so that I can have some privacy to go to the bathroom. And as I'm going to the bathroom, something comes running up to camp and it's big, whatever it is. And it's, it's, I can feel like the concussion of the footsteps on the ground. And I was so startled that the only thing that I could think to say was, you're not playing fair. And it stopped right then. And then I finished going to the bathroom and I came back and Tony was like, did you hear that? I'm like, well, yeah, (laughs) it was right next to me. And so then we, you know, talked for a little bit longer and then, um, it was kind of quiet. And so I said, well, I, you know, I'm kind of tired. I think I want to head, head to bed now. And so I went into the tent and then, um, he, he got into, and then he goes, you know, I left the machete outside. What if it gets the machete? And I was going to say, they could rip you limb from limb. They don't need a machete. <laughs> and, but instead I was like, you know what? Good idea. You should probably get your machete. And so he, you know, got out of the tent, got the machete, dove back into the tent with the machete. And I'm like, careful with that thing. And then um, I fell asleep and I was texting the Washington group here and there. Um, but all throughout the night, there was like some, I don't know if it was rednecks. I don't know what it was, but like some kind of percussion type stuff where things were, it, it was not like wood knocks, but it was triangulating around us. And I i don't know what it was, but I don't think Tony got as much sleep as I did. Um, I, I slept pretty well that night and then the next day we just packed up and left I felt so bad for him because he started out with such enthusiasm and he's like guys I'm gonna set up this remote camp and everyone was like yeah yeah okay whatever go ahead and um yeah I mean he he waited a long time for somebody else to come down there and it was definitely weird down there like whatever was going on um they definitely wanted their presence known yeah I was gonna say speaking and speaking of scared or not scared you were actually with Renee on her Renee from the show on her first night out squatching up in Washington. Yes. Yeah. Well, well tell us about that. Cause I, I met Renee on the show. I didn't know her at all before that. Yeah. So she was a field biologist and she'd had a few potential sightings and she just wanted to look into it a little bit more. And, um, she was, it was Renee and Matt Moneymaker and I, and she was nervous and she asked if she could hold my hand. And I said, sure. And then I just promptly fell asleep, which was kind of my MO, unfortunately, with Bigfooting. I used to be able to sleep like a champ. Um, and I, you know, pretty much slept through the night. Um, but I mean, it's, it is scary if it's the first time you've done something like that and, you know, you're out of your element and you've maybe had some spooky things happen in that area. Well, yeah, and you know, a lot of people want to go do this, and then something happens, and then it's, it, they weren't ready for it, even though that's they they literally went asking for that. And but you just can't prepare yourself for the reality of facing off with one of these things, even if you don't actually visually see it. Well, I think a lot of the time they think that they want to have something happen because they think it sounds cool. But the reality is a lot different from maybe what you're you're picturing, um, because when I was going to the bathroom and that thing was charging at me, nobody wants that. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not like you get to pick the kind of encounter that you're going to have. Yeah, a lot of people in the in the museum tell me that I, they'd love to see one as long as they were in their car or something like that, or from a distance. And, you know, it's only damn fools like us that run out and try to get close to these things. And even I've questioned a couple of times being out there alone or whatever and hearing them knock back and forth, wondering like, what the hell was I thinking? But this is what I do. So I got to, you know, got to see it through. Um, it'd be horrifying, scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was on that dirt road all by myself in Florida, I thought I am an idiot. If I die this way, nobody's going to feel bad for me because this was a very bad choice. <laughs> Well, you'd only be an idiot if you didn't think that. <laughs> you were mentioning after your your friend sitting going out there and going to the bathroom and having something run at you. The same thing happened to you in Bart up in central Washington at your favorite spot, Tracy. But um, after Bart's sighting about a half hour later, I went out to use the bathroom. I'm squatting over a hole I dug. And I, this thing starts running at me full speed, just boom, 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 heavy, heavy footfalls. And yeah, and I yelled, I yelled, damn it, I'm trying to take a crap, leave me alone. And it just stopped. <laughs> it just totally stopped. And that was it. 
Yeah. And people were like, well, why did you say something? Didn't you want to see what it was? And it's like, if I hadn't been going to the bathroom, it would have made me go to the bathroom. I mean, it was that rattling. (laughs) You just got it out of the way first. I did. Um, And, and, you know, people have asked me before, like, have you ever been scared? I'm like, of course I've been scared. Some of this stuff's really scary. (laughs) The vast majority of the things that you've observed in the field um, are pretty much, they're all pretty much ape stuff, right? Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, some of it you you could explain, um, you know, it could be bear, it could be deer, it could be elk, um, but a lot of it is very ape-like. And you're, you're satisfied that these things are pretty much that, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you were going to classify them, it wouldn't make sense to put them anywhere else. All right. Well, let, let's get into the weeds a little bit and, and talk about that slightly. Um, where do you think um, the most logical ancestor is do you, are you in the gigantopithecus vein of thought or really like the gigantopithecus hypothesis um but i'm open again just because we don't know um we need to have more evidence before i could um you know make make a statement one way or another on that hey, heck we need more evidence of gigantopithecus not that that it's real but just we need to know more about it you know right that, that's always been a tough one for me, getting over that part of it. So we know so little about gigantos, except for a little bit about what they ate and maybe how big they were approximately. What are your thoughts on some of the other hairy hominoids that have been reported worldwide? Do you, ha- do you, do you even bother with that? Because you may or may not have firsthand experience with them. Do you mean so. like the Orang Pendex? Orang Pendex, Ibu Gogos, um, the Yeren, um, the, the Almasty. Yeah, um, I was... Was it Maria Mayer? Was that who was studying the Orang Pendek? Uh, no, Maria is a primatologist. She's on the expedition Bigfoot show. Right. For some reason, I thought that she'd also studied the Orang Pendek. Maybe it was somebody else. Debbie Martyr did. Um, she, she works for a wildlife organization. Um, she studied these things, and she's actually still in Sumatra studying the tigers and doing things for a Wildlife International or one of these organizations. Yeah, there there have been several sightings, and I think a few, of course, blurry photos, because why would they ever be anything but blurry, <laughs> of Orang Pendek, which I thought was pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah, a photographer actually saw a Jeremy something, um, saw one of these things, and, uh, and I don't think he got, I don't know if he got a good picture or a bad picture or no picture, I don't remember that, but um, I've always thought Orang Pendex are definitely a worthy uh, avenue of study for sure. Yeah, and especially in light of the Homo floresiensis um, discovery back in 2004, and now the Homo luzonensis as well from the same island chain up in the Philippines. Um, yeah, and then the the prevalence of uh, small-bodied hominoids in the area, I think is very intriguing. Yeah, that's really interesting too. Because everybody always thinks about just the larger ones, but the the smaller ones are equally interesting to study. I think they're scarier. (laughs) One of the freakiest things that somebody said to me was, um, I think this was in New Mexico again, when they were throwing rocks and we, at first we thought that it was somebody um, in our camp, but it wasn't. Um, They were throwing rocks and then another one was kind of messing with one of the tents. That's when I had my sighting. Yeah, we would look with night vision, and then we couldn't see anything. And so somebody said, maybe they're crawling toward us and hiding. And for some reason, the vision of them crawling just freaked me out so much. I couldn't sleep at all that night. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that they, that's exactly what they do. I mean, that's what Mike Green's video shows. Yeah, it was it was uh, messing around with Tracy. Tracy, was, again, was the only female there. And uh, they were messing around her tent. We had another tent set up by hers. Because she had, she was away from the group a little more, uh, you know, solo. And there was a, a tent we were keeping all the food in, like putting out bait and offerings and stuff like that, and all that was next. And it was walking back and forth between those tents, and then I, I couldn't really see it. I, I I could see it, you know, doing stuff, but it would go kneel down by uh, Tracy's tent. I guess at that point it was throwing pebbles down at the campsite, and I was the only guy up there about the vehicles, and you know we were talking about like. Uh, because she was there, we were like, there, we had like a really strict thing about no one looking through night vision. You know, if if uh, at night, you know, if there's a female going to go to the bathroom or something like that. And so I saw, so I thought it was the colonel around their tent, and I was like, I don't want to be the creep that gets caught looking through night vision. I had night vision around my neck, and I never looked through it. 
Because, you know, I was afraid, like, oh, I could just see myself look through, and then, like, someone looks at me, and it's like, it looks like I'm spying on them or something, you know? But, uh, yeah, the rock throwing, they were real accurate because uh, Chris was holding the the camcorder, and those they were throwing little pebble rocks at us. And they hit, they remember they hit the camcorder twice? Yep. Like, just nailed the camcorder, blink, and then I got hit once in the uh, back of the head. They also, wasn't there like a big metal water trough out in the field and they would hit the water trough with rocks and it would just ping. And I was like, this, this feels kind of like an intimidation thing just to keep us on edge. Or again, juveniles just having fun. Yeah. then we remember we heard they were up in the, uh, in the hayloft of the barn. Mm -hmm. My dad yelled at them and they took off running out of the hayloft and the big one, you could hear it like running through the hayloft. It went out the backside and there was, big uh the hay the hay doors were open up, up on this you know the top part and you could just hear it like you could hear duh, 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 and then just boom duh, 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 like it, you could hear it land just this heavy thud and it didn't slow down remember like there was no like like it didn't sound like it buckled its knees or anything like it just ran no problem and it stepped on that piece of sheet metal and it left like a 15 and a half inch <laughs> somewhat of an outline of a foot yeah yeah i slept in the hayloft i think the next night yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, but you, you know, you've been really uh, fortunate with a lot of early experiences in your Bigfooting career. And when you look back, I mean, seeing one on your first trip out and having all these high activity expeditions uh, having gone on, yeah, that that's just nuts. Yeah, I agree. And she was one of the ones that was uh, one of the early leaders to be the female on Finding Bigfoot. Oh, to, to be considered for it? Yeah, but I... I just started grad school. Yeah, so Tracy didn't even show up for the interview. I didn't. Matt Moneymaker was like, "What? Why?" And I was like, "Well, I really like this program. I think I want to see how it goes. There's, there's probably always going to be another Bigfoot show if I really want to do that." Yep. <laughs> do you think you would ever want to do that? Um, I don't think so. No. Yeah, TV's a weird gig. Yeah, I mean, I've you know, done live TV here and there for unrelated things, but I don't know if I'd necessarily want to do something like that for my job. Um, I, I really like writing and I like kind of picking my own schedule. And I know that what you guys did on the show was stressful and there was a lot of travel and it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It was, it was a whole lot actually, but, mm -hmm. but you know, great, great things came from it. So no, no regrets on my, my behalf. That's for sure. Did you know that the, 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 the keep it squatchy came from that first Washington expedition? No. Tell us about that. That was the first time that, that, that phrase came up. Do you remember that Bobo? I don't remember. No, I don't. Because we were investigating different areas and, and, um, I kind of just like to make up words. And so I was like, yeah. And so instead of saying that traffic is congested, I'll say something is trafficy. And so I was looking at a site and I said, well, I don't know, this could be kind of squatchy. And you started laughing and you're like, squatchy, I like that. And so then after that, you, you made up that phrase, keep it squatchy. Significant history being revealed here. I stole it. Well, but you made the phrase. I just, I just right. that word to describe it because I didn't know how else to describe something that might have evidence of it. Well, that's interesting. Cause you know, that's one of the, 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 the small triumphs, I guess, of finding Bigfoot is we introduced the word squatch or squatchy to the general public. And uh, it kind of all traces back to you in some degree then. That's kind of cool. Well, again, I could be misremembering. It could have been Bobo who was saying it. And then I was like, oh, this area looks squashy. But I just remember Bobo going, hey, I like that word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll go with your memory over mine. You win. <laughs> <laughs> well tracy this has been a lot of fun speaking to you i really appreciate your time um uh, it sounds like you, you you're able and willing to uh, stick around for the member section afterwards for a little while um at least until the, the the small human in your immediate vicinity wakes up yep all right well cool well, well, why don't we hop on that and that, that'll be just for our members of course and if it, you're interested in becoming a member of uh bigfoot and beyond um you can do that you can uh, not just you tracy i'm not talking to you i'm talking to the audience here although you can as well tracy if you'd like um go to www.bigfootandbeyondpodcast.com and then follow the links to the membership stuff or there's always these links in the show notes you can do too um but yeah uh tracy thank you so much for coming on we really really appreciate your time 
Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Haven't done anything Facebook-related for a long time. Welcome back. We got to get back out there. It's always good luck going out with Tracy. Apparently so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Bubba, why don't you take us out and we can do the members thing. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks for joining us again on another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. And thanks to Tracy, an old-time Squatch friend that came out on the show with us today. Um, I hope to get out there again. She's always good luck out there. So thanks for listening, and keep it Squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 